0: Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Great Disruption, um, the panel discussion which will help you get to the bottom of whether children's TV is going OTT. Um, my name's John Watts. I'm the uh, co-founder and director at a research and strategy consultancy um, called MTM. Um, we have been researching the OTT space um, for nearly 10 years now. Um, it wasn't called OTT, obviously 10 years ago, um, but it has been for the last five or so. Um, we're lucky enough to work with a huge cross-section of the great, the good, and occasionally less than good of the media tech and comms markets, helping them deal with issues around digitally driven change. Um, Our theme today is OTT, as you all know, um, and I'm just going to very briefly say a few words to set the scene before we work our way down the panel and get them to give us some opening views on whether or not OTT is genuinely disruptive of the children's TV market. So first of all what are we talking about? Um, OTT is still not a very well bolted down term. If you talk to a telco about OTT they think about it as any kind of internet service um, whether it's voice, data, whatever. Today we're specifically talking about film and TV content. So both subscription models, night and Net, like Netflix, Amazon, and Hopster, who we have here today, um, and ad-funded video offerings like YouTube, ITV Player, Maker, and so on and so forth. Um, we're going to try and cover both of them, but our focus is very much going to be on commercial television. We're leaving the public service debate um, to uh, earlier sessions. So what disruption are we talking about well there are many different potential causes of disruption um, that ott could deliver into the children's tv market first of all viewing Um, we've heard a lot today about how children are starting to move online their consumption behaviors are fundamentally changing from linear to on demand and we'll try and get to the bottom of that um, with some insights about the reality of what's actually happening to children's viewing behavior ott disrupts advertising revenue. As kids go online, the advertising dollars are moving. We heard from Maker this morning about the extent to which big brands are shifting money. Every big brand, I think Danielle Hewitt suggested um, this morning, is shifting money, potentially away from TV and into online video third disruption pay tv revenues you'll hear um, a lot about cord cutting cord shaving people moving away from their sky subscriptions and taking up services like netflix and other ott offerings pretty much every media equity analyst has a cell note on sky at this point in time many people argue that ott will be fundamentally disruptive of a traditional pay tv model fourth disruption new entrants huge new international competitors businesses like amazon and netflix um, present in dozens of countries, enormous financial clout, able to buy content, spend money that many domestic firms just can't afford to spend. And lastly, the TV value chain. We're going to hear a lot today, I suspect, about broadcasters going direct, about pay TV companies disaggregating channel brands, issues like this which could be really disruptive to the established TV value chain as it's existed. Producer, channel, distribution platform, viewer. so What does all this mean to the children's TV market? The good news, um, certainly for you, probably for me, is that I'm not going to try and answer this question. Instead, we have an august panel of industry participants from across the value chain um, who are going to give us their views and perspectives. Um, I should flag that this is not going to be a standard panel format. We've got about 20 minutes of questions we're gonna talk through. We're then gonna put up four scenarios, um, completely made up pictures of the UK TV market in 2020. I'm gonna ask our panel to respond. And in the last 10 minutes, we've got a little interactive format involving you, just to check that you've um, paid attention and stayed alert during the course of the discussion. But to get the ball rolling, Let's just hear some opening declarations from our panel, their views on just how disruptive OTT is going to be for the children's TV market. So, starting at the far end, John. Okay, so thanks John.
1: Um, so, a little bit of background on me. I, I head up research for um, Viacom, basically all of Viacom services that are uh, managed out of London. So, we're in about 30 territories, and that's across brands like um, Comedy Central, MTV, but most importantly, and the reason I'm here, Nickelodeon, um, and my my background before I kind of moved across to work in Viacom Was at Nickelodeon So my heart is very much in the kids TV space still I would say um, So I'm going to start my statement with a caveat In kind of true research um, uh, way um, In terms of how it's going to impact the commercial marketplace That's not really my kind of area of expertise But I do have a few observations I'd like to share with you That um, you know over the last few decades, our, um, our kind of predominant form of distributing our content has been via linear branded channels. Um, the growth of connectivity, both fixed and um, wireless broadband, um, as well as the other big enabler, which is the growth of um, mobile devices, and we see that with kids. So um, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the Ofcom um, research that's done every year, but we know that seventy percent of kids in the UK have access to a tablet, probably n- more now because that was just before Christmas. Um, so those two things together are really kind of like dri- driving fragmentation um, which for us as a business means kind of new opportunities for um, new new platforms, new partners, um, as well as new competitors. Um, but I think overall, we think it leads to more commercial opportunity, So we feel that by embracing these changes, there is more opportunity out there for us as a
0: business. Fantastic, thank you, John. Moving swiftly on, Rebecca.
2: Hi, my name's Rebecca. I work at Little Dot Studios and we distribute um, a lot of TV content for independent producers and for broadcasters. We do about 250 million views a month, and of that, 80 million views are for kids' content. My background is digital, but working for broadcasters. I spent five years working on Channel 4 projects, which were public service learning projects, and then I worked on more commercial projects for BBC Worldwide and ITV. And I was always trying to get people to engage with the content, discuss it online, and I just cannot underestimate the the power that TV has got to actually drive these conversations. So, so my sort of perspective is, TV is you know here to stay, and it's a it's it's not it's not in decline. Um, The way that I would see it is we used to have a a few stations, four or five stations, and then we had you know we shifted to having two hundred channels on TV. And now we've just got further fragmentation, so we can look at Amazon and Netflix and Hulu as just, they're just other avenues, they're just other commissioners who are looking to license or commission great content.
0: Fantastic. Jean-Philippe.
3: Hi, I'm I'm, uh Jean-Philippe. CEO of the uh, Zodiac Kids, we do production and distribution of uh, kids content. We're based mainly um, in the UK and in France, where we've got production companies. Uh, so I'm, I'm the voice of the non-broadcasters here, or the non-platform uh, people. Um, and uh, y- disruption, I think, is uh, is a n- kind of negative word. You, you imply that there was peace and harmony and, and love, and all of a sudden things went wrong, and uh, and some bodies are 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 being. Uh, uh, taken from the, uh, the war field. I, I don't think that um, disruption is, in that case, uh, a bad thing, obviously. Uh, I think that the, uh, there is disruption because the market was ready for disruption. Um, and I think that uh, we see new entrants in, uh, in a number of, uh, of markets uh, on a global basis uh, because there was, th- there was a space. Um, So, I would say from from our point of view, um, it means probably a couple of things. (coughs) It means, um, first of all, that in the short term there is more money. It doesn't mean that it's going to stay like that forever, but it does mean that for a while there is more more budget spent on development of new content, and that's potentially a good thing. Um, The other thing is that it probably also implies a different way of looking at content. Uh, which is also relevant for, for a producer and, and distributor. Uh, I think that to the same extent that the development of digital format has been freeing up creation in terms of music or publishing where suddenly you could do things that were formatted differently because there was a way to communicate them, uh, I think that that's also something that may have impact in, in our space. So I would say from a content point of view, uh, I would say it's, uh, it's probably good news.
0: So, so far, we seem to have a cosy consensus okay. that it's all good. Harmonious. It's all harmonious <laughs> and good. Marie?
4: Yeah, I'm, uh, hi, my name's Marie. I'm part of the team at Hopster. We are a kids kids OTT service, although we, I, I'd like to think we're much more than that. What we try and do is make screen time a win-win for parents and kids by combining high-quality TV content, um, which you know, covers a number of very well-known shows all the way to some really nice indie gems that we find on, on YouTube, um, and then bring onto our service with interactive learning games that span a, uh, an internationally recognized cur- curriculum. Uh, internationally uh, based curriculum it's not recognized yet but who knows Um, and I mean from from our point of view I think I'm afraid I won't be able to disagree with anyone else here and that I think that OTT coming into the space and disrupting is a good thing Uh, and fundamentally it's a good thing for the for the user and for the kids and and the parents because it it on the one hand it creates more competition which as Jean-Philippe said, can lead to a higher, suddenly more routes for content producers to think about how they might be able to bring their ideas to, to the end user and to the viewer and the children more quickly and get feedback more quickly. And I think that's a very good thing for everyone. Um, so whereas before you might have had to get your piece commissioned, nowadays you could come and speak to someone like us or go to YouTube and just try your idea out in a very different way to what was previously possible. Um, it will. It will also make consumers more demanding in terms of you as the the, the person who bring or you as the provider who brings them content, um, having to make a decision on whether you're going to take a subscription payment or whether you're going to take ad revenue. And I think what's going to be quite difficult for pay TV providers is being somewhere in the middle where you charge them a subscription, but you also advertise to them. And I think that, again, is a good thing for the consumer. And for us at, at Hopster, it's a great thing because we're very clear on that spectrum. We don't take advertising. We make all our money through subscription. Um, and I think that will consumers will demand that sort of clarity more and more in the future. Uh, and I think the last thing is that it will it will disrupt, I think uh, to Rebecca's point around the decline of TV, it, um, I broadly agree, but it depends on how you define TV. I think viewing, watching of content and the audience engaging with video content will not decline. Where they watch that content, how they consume it, that will change. And that, in, in our view at Hobster, that will definitely lead to a decline of that content being watched through a pay TV channel on a, on a big screen in the living room.
0: So, a first hint of decline um, in the discussion. Let's just take a quick step back. A bit, this topic has been covered in lots of the other sessions, but I thought it was just worth getting an initial view from the panel. What's the reality of OTT consumption for children today? You know, how much viewing is really going from the Nickelodeons, the Cartoon Networks, and so on, onto services like um, Amazon service, Netflix service, to Hopster? I mean, John, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak to what we
1: see and, um you know, we do we do see that kind of linear reported TV is declining, but I think the emphasis and the focus there is on the reported. And right. um, So there is definitely a kind of you know there's a measurement issue. Um, we we increasingly have access to all sorts of kind of data from the platforms that we work with, and we spend a lot of time knitting it together to try and look at consumption, the overall consumption pie, if you like, of our um, of our content. Um, and what we see that whilst um, SVOD and VOD Is growing um, and it you know that shouldn't be ignored. Um, That linear TV is still uh, you know uh, the the vast majority of consumption, in fact, over um, you know
0: kind of late 80s, 90% of (coughs) video consumed, but presumably declining. I mean, these services are growing. And and what's the rate of decline? Um, So, we well,
1: you know, we see it dropping by um, a few percentage points each year, but then our you know, our honest long-term view is that that will bottom out because it feels like, you know, from our, um, from a lot of research, we we can see that kind of linear TV meets uh, needs for viewers that, um, you know, other platforms, that other platforms don't. And in fact, one of the uh, the key strengths of linear TV is um, its use for kind of breaking new content. Um, And I just don't think there are any other platforms out there that are kind of able to do that in, in the same way, so I don't want to kind of downplay the importance of catch-up and on-demand because we are seeing kids kind of um, usage of that growing um, but linear is still a very big chunk um, of that consumption and that shouldn't be ignored, I don't think.
2: It's yeah. so a
0: big bit declining. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, I mean, li- linear TV consumption is not really declined over the last 10 years and I don't think it is falling in the kids' space. I think that what's happening is is when you're giving your kid your mobile phone to watch something while you're waiting at the supermarket, sorry, <laughs> it's, kids are watching more content. So it doesn't necessarily mean that linear TV is decreasing. And there's also a difference between the, the content and the physical device that they're watching it on. Is it sort of, irre- you know, you've got content. I think it's irrelevant if it's coming from Netflix or BBC or who's picking it up. It's TV content and the big shift is with devices. So we find generally for our content, it's 50% on mobile. For kids, it's 90%, which I'm sure everyone here would, would echo. Marie, you're on the same page. This is all additive.
4: So um, not entirely 100% on the same page. Just um, to John's point around, uh, you know, there is a decline and there is uh, there is data to, to suggest that linear tv as in linear tv where someone else chooses what you get to watch when and what ads are in between and what promos are in between that is in decline for for children it's just i mean they we we run a lot of focus group testing at hopster and um every now and then we, we test competitor products and for them it is just they just do not understand when they cannot pick what they want to watch at the point where they want to watch it it's just not a behavior that is natural to them and that's this generation where linear tv is still as you say very much the the status quo think about the next generation and the generation thereafter and I think what um this is sort of a very very nice example of something that's um so disclaimer my background is not in tv my background is more on the on the tech and startup side of things and this is I think we're seeing a very classic example of what, what's commonly called the innovator's dilemma where you have big big and successful organizations which are successfully run by very smart people because otherwise they wouldn't be big and, big and successful and heading up these organizations who are doing all the right things they're looking at all the stats they are they're analyzing them they're keeping an eye on things and they and I think there's very often a situation where the the assumption is just that we are such a big brand now. By the time when OTT is relevant, and when audiences are moved over completely to something like on-demand video in everything, we'll just go in and, gra- and capture that market, assuming that by that point, they will still be as relevant as they currently are. Um, but the problem is that to, to actually counteract that trend, it's quite hard as a big organization that has bottom line requirements, um, at a Viacom, for instance, if you have certain requirements to hit the bottom line, it's very hard to go and say, actually, we are now going to focus on OTT, which has lower margins, currently has lower people watching it, is going to not make us as much money. It's, that's a very hard thing to justify, and that's, there's a very interesting book by a guy called Clayton M. Christensen on exactly that dilemma and what you can do to, to counteract that. Um, and often, there's not very much you can do apart from waiting how it plays out. Can I think bring John
0: in at that point? Yeah, Sorry, John. Yeah, I thought you might. <laughs> um, so so you've you heard a slightly more apocalyptic view there. Well, g- g- give us some some confidence that Nickelodeon is going to survive and prosper in this new brave world over the next five years. Well, I,
1: I think the thing that gives me confidence is that we're we're already making that transition. So you know, you probably saw in the news that Sky have launched a kind of you know are pushing much more aggressively their video on demand offering of which we are part. Um, so we are starting to kind of transition, you know,
0: across and kind of embrace these uh, new new platforms. Um, but, but I would that be a Sky brand, not the Nickelodeon brand, owning the consumer well, relationship there?
1: Um, I still think there is a value to the channel brand because I think we're moving into, you know, the danger is you move into a world where there's kind of infinite choice, but people actually don't like choice. People, and in fact, something we're hearing in focus groups is that kids are kind of, you know, going back to the shows they know and love even more than they were in the past because there's so much choice out there and they want that kind of guaranteed sort of you know, entertainment hit that they know they'll get from a favourite. Isn't this where algorithms step in and take the part of channel well, brands? That's a, that's a very good point and as a, um, a consumer of Netflix myself, um, as well as linear TV, I should, should add, um, <laughs> I will, you know, I don't think, and it's probably funny coming from a guy who's essentially a Stato, um, but You know, people aren't algorithms, and I'm sure anybody who's used Netflix will know that the kind of recommendations don't always um, appeal for precisely that
0: um, reason. Let's jump on then and take the next bit of the puzzle, which is really about the production sector. So, Jean-Philippe, as as you look at this world in which linear consumption is clearly going to decline and OTT is going to grow significantly from a commercial point of view and as a share of viewing... What does that mean for the children's production sector? How do you launch franchises? How do you grow program brands? How do you make merchandising and licensing revenue?
3: Well, these are all good questions, and I think nobody has the answer at this point in time. But uh, I think that there is a value to certain uh, things that are evolving at the moment. Um, I think that the, uh, the challenge, if you look at it, not in terms of producer versus platform or producer versus broadcaster, but if you look at it more as as a a franchise development exercise, so we are all, our success, regardless of whether we are on the broadcast side or not, is about the development of IPs and making them successful. Um, And and I think that we don't know yet, actually, uh, for example, if certain IPs will um, develop better on uh, linear television or on, on OTT, but there probably will be some differences. Uh, some elements that we've got already is that because of its model television tend to go for gender neutral and mass access to uh, to content ott or other platforms may be more relevant to gender segmentation for mm-hmm. example and gender se- segmentations may also have a, a positive impact on sales it's easier to sell to sell a, a boy property or mm-hmm. a girl property than and it's easier than than a, a gender neutral property so on one side you I would say clearly We need, uh, and producers need, and IP developers need the mass exposure of television to make an impact on the market. But on the other side, the type of content that is increasingly relevant to linear television may not be the one that actually triggers development of revenue beyond television. So we could end up in a place where actually for some of these OTT platforms, there is a, a real commercial play that will always take time because we will always have to deal with other gatekeepers that will take probably 15 years to realize that the market has moved.
0: But I think that could be the future there. I just want to bring in Rebecca very quickly at this point. Do, do you echo that view that, that there'll be a period of change and adaptation, that the big production companies will be just fine?
2: I, I think that we're in a period of transition which is going to take quite a long time. And so what's happening, at the moment is people are getting commissions to make things and then they've got windows which they can exploit in other places because they're in a fortunate position where they've been given money to make things that's how our business works we help people make incremental revenue on things and I think it's I mean it's very it's very hard to not be given any money and just told to make a big property um, and yeah I completely agree I think that when you're on TV you have to be doing something that's big and just ticking a lot of boxes for everyone and the beauty of online and over the top is you can be more niche and so yeah I would see it as a a gradual process we're going to see like you see spin-off shows we've got the big thing from tv and then you can have two or three different smaller adventures with already known characters which you can already market to people but I I think it's going to take a lot longer than we think it's it's hard when you feel like oh I've been sitting here already for so many years when's it going to happen but I think it's a lot further off than we think that there's going to be a completely total disruption to where we are now
0: so we did have a question about collaboration but this this panel feels um, warm and cozy enough as it is already (laughs) so I thought we might just jump ahead to our world in 2020 so ladies and gentlemen Here we have four scenarios for the future, and we're going to briefly walk through them one at a time. They're all very loosely based on um, popular songs, apart from one which is based on a popular movie, because we couldn't think of a song with the word aggregator in it. Um, If anyone comes up with one, let me know. Um, They're all about the UK TV market in 2020. So I'm going to basically jump into our first one. Um, so, our first one, planetary aggregators. So, what happens by 2020? So, kids viewing shifts fundamentally to VOD and OTT in this scenario by 2020. So, linear is now a small minority of total viewing. Um, pay TV and OTT providers, the Netflixes, the Skies, are aggregating all the best content all the best program brands in apps and VOD offers. And as a result, linear channels just decline. Um, They're ultimately dropped by the pay TV platforms. Um, Channel brands become irrelevant. Um, It's all about algorithms. It's all about recommendations. It's all, to some extent, about search. And the big broadcasters, the people we used to call broadcasters, shift into production-led models. They're no longer linear channel providers. They're just feeding the aggregators with big content brands, you know, across their international distribution machines. Um, John, why is this not going to happen fundamentally? Um,
1: well, I think going back to points that I made earlier, that, yeah. you know, I think channel brands will still be important. They are, they're kind of like the beacons that people use to guide them through the choice. But, so. but diminishing? Um diminishing but there is an open question I don't think anybody has the answer whether that diminishing is going to continue or whether it's going to kind of bottom out um, I think that um, you know Linear TV meets essentially does meet viewer needs um, as does VOD uh, and they can kind of coexist um, I think brands are still will still be important, I think Linear TV will still be important for kind of breaking new content and getting the kind of reach that you need to get for IP
0: to um, and certainly, the kind of broad appeal IP to um, drive a business model. I mean, Marie. Presumably, in hopster world, channel brands have much less of a role to play. Is this a plausible future?
4: So, this is obviously a very, you know, very drastic scenario. I think this is um, most in line with what we expect to see in the future. Albeit, i um, totally agree with Rebecca on the point of things, you know, always exactly. taking longer than than you think they will. We tend to overestimate what. What happens in three years, and underestimate what can happen in ten, as Bill Gates said. Um, And I think what uh, uh, speaking of channels, I mean we are we are a an umbrella brand. Everything in Hopster is a you know we we don't see Hopster as a channel brand. I think there is a thinking about channel brands as a as a relic or a, a result of limitations of linear TV and the technological limitations that had in, in the past, uh, going forward and into a world of OTT, it's actually, from a UX perspective, pretty bad for consumers. Right. Because if you have um, if you do have to navigate a jungle of different apps, which all have different logins, um, and you have one app for each of the channels that you may or may not in the future use as beacons, that's not, not a great user experience. And I think we've seen time and time again um, that, users reject bad experiences so uh, that's not to say that there's not a way to come up with a better experience for that you know like a unique login across different different apps or one app which funnels you into different uh, channel versions of ott of an ott product but i i don't i think uh, i agree netflix's algorithms have they have work to do on that um but that w- that work, I'm very confident that that work will be done. You look at all the advancements in right. in AI, and it will happen. So I think that this is definitely um, a very, uh, you know, in in our in our worldview, this is a more is likely a scenario than uh, some of the others. Yeah.
0: Jean Philippe, just quickly, are you, are you are you a bull or a bear on channel brands? Is this a plausible outcome?
3: Well, everything is possible, but I, I would say um, there are two things that maybe are not captured uh, mm. here in terms of assumptions. The first one is that um, linear television and television as a piece of technology um, is, is a communal, a family experience. Right. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that has a space. There is a space for that. Um, so I think that the question will be more... How does that impact mm. um, the rest of the ecosystem that is about to be created? But I, I, I still believe that there is a space for a family experience around a, you know, a, a pre-assigned uh, signal that is sending the same, the same thing to, uh, to a number of homes. So that, that's, uh, I think that's one piece of element that we, we need to, to take into account
0: and you had said two yeah i forgot the other one you've got the other one
3: yeah. <laughs> but it will come back and i will interrupt at that point that's good
0: yeah. okay let's jump to our second implausible scenario then um so this is the apocalypse scenario um this is what everybody dreads i suspect it's the secret nightmare of lots of people in this room so in this scenario as before commercial kids broadcasters decline. But premium kids' OTT offers just failed to gain traction. And instead, the people who win out are the really low-cost aggregators, so people providing ad-funded online video. And that just does not support investment in kids' content. So we see funding in kids' content deteriorating really rapidly um, over the course of the next five to ten years. Um, as a result, um, there's an ever-greater reliance on either public subsidy Um, or on big brands, advertisers. There's no other source of money. It's not coming from consumers in quite the same way. Um, Rebecca, presumably this is plausible.
2: Um, I I wouldn't bank on this happening. I think if you're looking at the, um, if you look at the viewing stats of these OTT services, they're all gaining traction. So I think they're gonna continue to grow. And I also don't think that subscription services are going to go because People subscribe to things because it's linked to their identity. People want to have Netflix or or Sky One or HBO. You know, irrelevant of actually even whether they're watching that shirt that the, the specific shows on it. It's it's part of how they identify themselves. So I don't think that this is going to happen. I don't see ad funding being the only model to support content at all. Is anyone on
0: the panel um, bullish about this sort of scenario? Do you see this sort of thing happening?
3: I think um, it's going to take a space. Again, um, tabloid pre- press is there. It's not uh, preventing people from reading other newspapers or other books. Um, so it's taking a certain space. I don't think it's taking all the space. So yeah, it will have an impact. And I think it will. Uh, it will be there. I don't think that it will be as extreme as the end of the world as we
0: know it.
4: And what, just quickly, what do you mean by low-cost aggregators specifically? So, so,
0: so it's the high-price stuff which doesn't yeah. really work out. It's a, it's a couple okay. of pounds, you know, per month which doesn't like fund a lot content of content warehouses.
4: Yeah. Oh, not warehouses. Okay.
0: And John, so, so I was
1: just going to say that I th- for me this is kind of and maybe this is a controversial point is 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 linked to scenario one. I think if we, you know, if aggregators become the sort of model, um, the predominant model, then I think we will see the overall decline of um all you know all players within the market
0: and why is that why just to make that real for us because it it won't support funding and content in the same way because
1: i think that kind of you need that sort of mass reach um and those bigger kind of open platforms to actually work alongside aggregation to um to drive content drive awareness and you know and therefore ensure there's a sort of healthy ecosystem
2: yeah because I just want to add something. I'm not sure if what you're suggesting in this scenario is that the only type of content that would be made would be content that was so low cost it could be ad supported, i.e. people like Zoella or people in their bedrooms.
0: I think that's exactly what we're suggesting.
2: And I actually think that that's a different type of content right. to high quality, stimulating Children's TV and I, I think that that's actually a different type of activity that coincidentally happens to be like a, a video I think it's you know, it's the difference between reading, you know, a high quality children's book and You know having a, a newspaper in another con- in, in another language
0: So you can see the things happily coexisting essentially. This isn't an either or.
2: No, I think they're different things They just happen to be video.
0: Right, okay. Let's jump on to our implausible scenario number three Um, which is kind of the flip-side scenario, I guess. So this is a scenario in which the international kids' TV networks survive and adapt successfully to this new world. Um, Channel brands are reinvigorated and extend onto OTT and SVOD platforms. Um, The global kids' content franchises enjoy huge commercial growth um, partly as a result. Dozens of new windows open up. Um, the aggregators persist, but are mainly buyers. They're taking these big content brands and they're re-aggregating them, providing another source of income. But it's the big studio broadcaster brands that really survive and thrive in this atmosphere, um, in this scenario. Um, Jean-Philippe, is this plausible? Can you see them triumphing overall?
3: Well, again, being French, I can only see the, uh, the negative side uh, of it. So. Um, <laughs> Um, no, I, w- I would say that some element of it, yes, um, the, um, the, the development or, or the survival of uh, uh, some of the international kids TV networks, absolutely yes. Um, the, um, the fact that channel brands are identified uh, as also a, a, a guarantee, of seal of trust, um, I, I can see that as well. I guess, will that trigger um, content franchise uh, um, development? Maybe, hopefully, I'm not so sure. Uh, And I think that also we need to look at different things when we talk about international television. uh, I I think that the question will be more on the non-kids or the uh, general entertainment mainstream channels that are increasingly dropping kids' content um, and are moving away from that space. Um, That I think will be accelerated by the uh, the development of uh, of OTT. And I think that the kid specialists will have no other option but to survive and evolve in order to survive.
0: And, and do you have a sense of what that evolution will look like? Uh,
3: I, I, I think that the, uh, we are going to have more similarities basically. I think that it's going to be about the convergence of, of, of different models in the long run. I think that initially it's going to be about cultivating your difference and um, for OTT to uh, uh, propose options that are different right. from what you can see on, on, uh, on television. But I think in the long run, I would suspect that the
0: models are getting closer and closer. And presumably, Jean Philippe, this is your sorry. Presumably, John, this is your preferred scenario. Unsurprisingly, are, are you basically bullish about the long-term survival of the big international kids businesses like Nickelodeon? Yeah. Well, yes. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah, that's unsurprisingly, good to
1: hear. yes. But I would say that I think um, I, I'm not sure there is any going back here. I think, um, think Jean Philippe made the point about you know there being a space for kind of like niche um, sort of OTT offerings, and I think that will that will continue. I think the whole kind of TV I think the ecosystem's opened up um, and i don't I don't see it being closed. Um, so I think the, I think for the international broadcasters, I think there is a future, but I think there's also a future for the
0: um, you know the other smaller players at the moment in the market yeah. So t- takes it on I guess to our final incredibly sunshiny scenario. Um, so uh, in this final scenario, um, everyone's a winner, basically everyone survives and thrives successfully. Kids broadcasters, the new OTT offers, pay TV companies all happily coexist in the kids' TV market. Um, Competition and collaboration between these players stimulates a huge wave of investment and innovation in the market. Um, heralding a new golden age for children's TV content, um, Everyone's spending um, the world, the future looks shiny. Um, but domestic UK broadcasters struggle to compete. This feels like a world in which scale really wins. Um, Marie, does this feel like the most plausible of the scenarios?
4: Yeah, so I'm I'm very happy that I got such a such <laughs> a great collaborative uh, one to to advocate for in this case because I think this is this is something that if maybe not not. Uh, in all points and in all details uh, could certainly come to pass if as an industry we we look at how we can again bring it back to the user and think about what does the user want and there will be some healthy competition between all these different offerings already the fact that you know Kids are really picking up OTT services, is causing <laughs> causing existing pay TV providers to innovate. Um, that's good news again for the consumer, and it's good news for us at Hopster as well because it it means you know we have uh, someone to c- compete with on on that front, which keeps us on our toes. And to Jean Philippe's point, um, it very much uh, I very much agree with. In this scenario, especially if everyone keeps coexisting, um, OTT providers need something that differentiates them from what a, a broadcast or a pay TV provider can do. And uh, you know, I, I obviously have an interest in saying this because at Hopster, that's exactly what we do. We try and bring interactive learning into it and that's our core proposition for our parents and kids. So we're not just saying, right, you can now watch what you want when you want it because that's, that's kind of already what they expect. Whereas also saying beyond that, you can also uh, engage with this content and engage with this video in a way that's not possible on a non-mobile device. And then beyond that, there are plenty of other other ideas uh, which range from working with producers who have interesting ideas of multimedia formats to uh, expanding into additional devices, internet of things. like there's so many possibilities to expand beyond just TV that there is a, a case for coexistence. and for OTt offerings to Uh, especially niche or more niche kids OTT offerings like Hopster for instance to expand out of that niche in terms of size without encroaching or without just cannibalizing that on the side of for instance a Nickelodeon because we'll just be playing in a bigger market we'll be expanding the market and the the commercial opportunity that's available Just
0: the rest of the panel then, can can everyone be a winner? No. (laughs) Where, Where do you see the losers then?
3: I don't think that the losers will be in one specific category. I think that right. what's happening is that there is disruption, there is a big shakeup, and then the winners at, at the end of the process may not be the entrance at the start of the process. Right. Uh, I think that that's probably more something along those lines. I think the other, the other elements that we maybe need to factor in, as we are looking at it essentially from a technological standpoint, is what is non te- not technological. And I think that what can make or break those technological evolutions is the economical situation and the size of families a bunch of things that are actually that we look at as if they were kind of different element in the mix but they are the ones that are dictating how technology is successful Um, so that also can have a a great impact if families are poor then they will have to make tougher choices in terms of what they watch and how they access to it
2: um, i mean there was a big debate about five years ago in digital whether it was about content or community and which would win out and in a way we've got the traditional broadcasters with the content who didn't feel like they had to do anything and then you've got these new players who were really agile and were embracing lots of you know tools across social and to get things out and I think that what's happening now is there's like a there's a dialogue and they're both having to go and do what the other one was doing so the O2t the over the top players are having to get bigger funds to secure bigger commissions that can stand up against traditional broadcasters and the traditional broadcasters are having to be much more agile releasing apps engaging with social embracing YouTube and I, I, I don't know I mean I don't yeah I don't think everyone's going to progress at an equal rate I think that maybe some people might fall out but I think it's about combining the creation and the distribution of content in your offering.
0: John, this sort of suggests that scale is gonna win out, mm-hmm. doesn't it? I think scale's
1: important. Um, I, d- I do take issue with one thing, though, mm. happily coexist. Um, we are talking about commercial <laughs> broadcasters here, so I think the competition is gonna be intense. Right. Um, for audiences, I, for the best For properties. audiences, um, for, yeah, in, in, in kind of all spheres, for the best content. Um, But that's kind of, that's not necessarily a bad thing, I guess, for people in this room because that stimulates innovation, firstly. Um, And also, I think we are all agreed that actually overall consumption of video is healthy and, you know, potentially increasing. So supply demand suggests that actually that's pretty good if you're a content producer and you have content that kind of ticks the right boxes. Right. Um, But a more
0: competitive market. I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's
1: going to be incredibly competitive but you know scale's an advantage but also kind of being small and nimble
0: is also an advantage so i think it feels like the middle of us under pressure which is where domestic broadcasters
4: struggle a bit so i was about to um i i totally agree with that that scale is important but it's not necessarily a scale of um uh Know, number of people you have or, or amount of, uh, of channels you run uh, it can just be where in the world are you present and um, at Hopster we just launched in over 100 countries effectively at, th- at the flick of a button and, right. and that's something that I think will um, as competition gets more intensive there will also be a huge pressure to, to bring down costs because margins will become lower because right. there will be a pressure to, to offer things more cheaply and that, that's easier when you uh, when you don't have a huge distribution network right. to maintain
0: all right We're gonna jump into our final little bit and this is where we're gonna turn to the audience just to find out what you think. Um, So, here's how this is gonna work. Um, We are gonna flash some statements up on these slides and these are all statements about the TV market, the UK TV market in 2020. And then we'll ask you, for those who think it's a fact, just to stick a hand up. And then put it down and then fiction um stick your hand up if you think it's a falsehood um and then we'll check with the panel whether you're right um, and whether this really is a truthful outcome in 2020. so um just to warm you up and check that you've got it um our first test question um by 2020 um a new netflix disney collaboration frozen is the new black (laughs) becomes the top kids series in the uk so who thinks this is fact we do have one person and who thinks it's fiction i think the fictions you are right that is not true uh, that is not going to happen right let's Hello. jump to the next one so um our next one um, Tablet ownership. Um, We heard about children having access to a tablet. This is about children owning tablets. So in 2014, Ofcom suggested that 34% of UK kids actually owned a tablet. Um, Our prediction is that by 2020, 70% of UK kids will own their own personal tablet. Um, Who thinks that's a fact? Almost everyone. Who thinks that's a fiction? A few brave souls. You think it's higher, <laughs> much higher. Okay. <laughs> Panel, is the audience right?
4: I, I'd yeah. say, broadly speaking, yes. Uh, although I <clears> question <throat> whether it's a tablet computer or a smartwatch or actually a virtual rela- reality device they strap to their head. So I don't think it will be a tablet computer as we know
3: it. On the basis that, um, obviously, uh, it's the, uh, the, the platform of choice or the media of choice mm. for, for kids, I think it's, uh, it's going
0: to grow. It's
2: going to grow. a lot grow. of yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Let's jump to our next one. So. Um, UK linear children's TV consumption so again um, our dear friends um, at Ofcom suggested that in 2014 um, your typical UK um, under 12 year old um, I think it's 3 to 12 in fact was watching 14.6 hours which was down from 17.1 in 2012 Um, so our prediction is that by 2020 your typical UK children will be t- child will be watching um, less than eight hours of broadcast TV per week. Um, so the decline will continue. So who thinks that's a fact? And who thinks that's fiction? I'd say it's roughly fifty-fifty. Uh, John, do you got a view on this one? Uh,
1: yeah, no, I think it's fiction. Um, you know, even kids TV aside, even if you just look at the sort of uh, entertainment kind of shared viewing that's going on. I think that would be enough to push it up above. Um, what's a more realistic figure for 2020? You think? Um, for, on based on based on those numbers, I'd say maybe I don't know, 10, 11, 12 hours. But you see, a, you see a slowing rate. I be see applying. a slowing. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Mm. And I, th-
2: well, I think it depends. What, what you say in television, if you're you are talking about sitting in front of the TV in the linear lounge because TV. there's a different okay so what linear TV that's been illegally uploaded to YouTube that they're watching in their bedroom
0: we're thinking linear broadcast TV I think we can something different I think Ofcom does d- days
2: linear days. TV officially being watched in officially regulated spot is going down yes
0: okay let's jump then to our next question so by 2020 Netflix is the world's largest commissioner of children's TV and video um, so audience um, who thinks that is fact oh it's slowly rising um, and who thinks that's fiction so I think it's about two thirds fiction one third fact or thereabouts. panel
3: is it before Disney by
0: Netflix or <laughs> <laughs> good question w- why is this not going to happen
4: who, who is currently the world's largest commissioner of children's TV is it Disney
0: I think in t- in total spend figures, I think it's Disney. But why? Give us a view. Why why is Netflix not going to continue ramping up its expenditure? How big can they get in this market? They they can get big. I think, but I think that the uh,
3: the um, it, I think it would be another iteration. I think it would be. Uh, I think it would make sense if we look at the kid space. Uh, I, you know, Netflix target is not just kids; they are targeting families, they yeah. are targeting adults, etc., etc. Right. So I, I don't think that it's reali- it's realistic to assume that they would become um, the uh, the biggest uh, commissioner of kids content plus do everything else on top of that. Yeah. Right. If at some point in time they start having a more specific kids strategy with a, ki- a kids platform or a kids, that could be a different kind of game. But on the on the current basis. Yeah. I don't think so.
2: Yeah, I think so, because with like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, Netflix are commissioning external studios to make these because they're in a growth phase, and they're going to shift to creating their own content so they can exploit the IP on it, right. like HBO have just done with Games of Thrones, and I think they're going to have a shift in the next five years. unless, less, but they'll own it.
0: Right, OK. Our penultimate one, then. So by 2020... A film starring a YouTube celebrity will top the UK box office and games charts simultaneously. Um, who thinks this is a fact? And who thinks it's fiction? It's about 50-50. Rebecca, you have to it, answer well, this
2: Well, it could totally happen. I mean, Zoella's book that came out was the fastest selling fiction seller. book when she is... You know appearing in cosmopolitan magazine and makes a little youtube video that's their most viewed video ever youtube celebrities are modern day celebrities it's not about the quality of what they're making it's about brand recognition of course this could happen
3: i'd say yeah. prime minister but that's just a That's <laughs>
2: personal opinion
0: and then our final one then so by 2020 only one major commercial children's broadcaster will still be carried by sky as part of its um pay TV offer. Um, audience, who thinks this is fact? Who thinks this is fiction? You're all very bullish, very <laughs> bullish. Um, John, presumably. Fiction. It's fiction. Yeah. It's yeah. fiction. Yeah, for all of the reasons that we've already touched right, upon talked It's through, not yeah. going away. No. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think we now have time for a couple of very quick questions, if the panel have heard anything you violently disagree with um, or want to um, challenge I think there's a couple of mics but it's going to be very quick because we have like one or two minutes
2: Hi there, a question for John really, Um, you said about linear remaining relevant because it acts as a beacon or as a compass for people to navigate content and find content I'd say that's true for adults but I'm questioning whether it is true for children so if you think two and three year olds perhaps that are growing up in houses where video on demand is their main way of accessing content so they're watching Bing Peter Rabbit Orangutan diaries, clips about dancing horses. Are they actually caring about channel brands or or linear stories? Is it irrelevant to them? Because it feels like their ment- mental model is actually more around navigating an interface mm. that has all that variety of content.
1: It's um, a good question. I would say that. Well, I mean, firstly, how do two, three-year-olds how do how do they discover content in the first place? And I'd say mostly it's through their parents. So, therefore, how do parents find content and parents are finding it? linear TV, plus certainly kind of four or five year olds are doing a lot more kind of navigating around. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm a big believer in the power, power of TV, promoting TV. So kind of the power of promos over perhaps algorithms, because they have that sort of like emotional um, sort of gain. I think my, um, I think the main thing is that kind of TV still has that, you know, that, that big reach and the other, um, the other element that's really important for kids when they're discovering content is word of mouth and how do you drive lots of word of mouth? You have, you know, you have big reach and you hit lots of people.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I think we've got a red light flashing here furiously and I believe um, we are now officially timed out. Um, a final quick word of um, huge thanks to our panel for giving us their views about the future and thank you all for your time.